Daily Autism Radio Show is on the air as we get into another radio show talking all things autism. We are a uh, an exhausted parenting couple, an exhausted husband and wife of autism. I'm Mark. That's Melissa. Here Good morning. We are. Good morning. Hello. Here we go. Let's go. Let's at least fake it and say we're wide awake. Uh, we are actually feeling pretty good. Um, great show because I want to get into some stuff that um, really is like upbeat in the world of autism for parents of autism. Um, stuff that is, uh, I don't know, just kind of cool. Um, this police officer, what he did for a young autistic child. Then there was a crazy twist at the end. I want to talk about autism and artificial intelligence, some exciting things on the horizon for that. Of course, our podcast platform as we continue to add um, more content to that. Autism therapy, dogs. This has always been an interesting topic. Yeah. I've been interested in this. I'm interested in having a therapy dog for him one day. One day. One yeah. day. Not right now. And a cool new autism business started by a woman in South Florida. So I want to get to all of that stuff uh, on the show today, which inevitably just flies right by. It just flies by. Next thing you know, it's like we're saying goodbye. So we got to pack it all in real quick for our autism parents. First off, I want to thank our title sponsor, Tracy Slepsevic. She is the Warrior Mom. Her book is called Warrior Mom. You can get it at warriormom.org. This is a mother's journey in healing her son with autism. We've met Tracy and her husband. She's done great work. Yeah, very nice people. Very nice people. Um, we got a lot out of the book. I think it's like packed with information. It's something you can always go back to. Yeah. She calls it a guidebook, and I think it's the best thing to say. Like, there's a guide there. I call it a guidebook. Yeah, there's a it's guide good. there. So, Warrior Mom, um, you know, thinking about therapies and just kind of really out of the box and interesting ideas if you are uh, new to the world as an autism um, parent. It's really interesting. Her son, who obviously she wrote the book about, well, it's about her and her son, but um, he's had a big year. He graduated from high school. He just turned 18. So, um, really cool story there. Warriormom.org. And Tracy is also launching the Autism Health Summit. This is the place to be if you are an autism parent or a caregiver or somebody just really interested in the autism space. Coming in early 2024, autismhealth.com for the details. And uh, yes, just a couple days left till August to take advantage of 100 bucks off the tickets. Autismhealth.com. We'll be having Tracy on really soon to talk to her about that. Autismhealth.com. So check that out. I actually encourage grandparents to also read the book. Oh, that's a good idea. You know what? I knew you, I could tell you had something to say. I looked over <laughs> and I was like, she's about to say something. Well, I just think if you're a supportive grandparent, um, a parent to your child, and you want to be supportive to your grandchild, um, I think that you should read the book because as we all parents are learning about autism, the grandparents need to too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Warrior grandma. Yeah. I like that. I like, no, it is a good point. And, and it's just kind of a level of understanding too. We've talked a lot about, you know, the, um, the interesting relationship adults have with their parents when their son, so the grandkid is diagnosed with autism. It's very interesting. It, it, it almost seems like it's like that defining moment of how the relationship is going to be moving forward. Some of the grandparents are like, they almost take on that warrior type of mentality. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can for my grandkid and for my kids, you know, but then you see others that are like, 
oh, it's not autism. Don't worry about it. He or she will be fine. And then they kind of, um, they get distant, you know? Yeah. I mean, it happened with my parents and even with your dad. Yep. I mean, it definitely changes the relationship because this is life-changing and it should be also life-changing to the grandparents. Yeah. And, you know, denial, first off, denial is very common with this. And, and I think um, not so much you, maybe more than me in the beginning, you know, there was there was kind of elements of, of denial with the whole thing. But with grandparents, denial is really interesting because they've been on earth so much longer and you just would figure, you know, with time running out, it's like, hey, you shouldn't have time for denial. Understand what we're going through and let's get to work. You know, let's get to work on making memories and making life a little bit easier. Basic help, you know. So it, it is, there's like that, there's more frustration when it comes to denial and grandparents when, when you, you know, factor in the whole autism thing. Well, I think part of that too is... Like you said, they've been on earth a lot longer. So that means they have to change. And not a lot of people at that age want to change. No. But they are forced to change because they have to go on this new journey. Or not change. Yeah. And then it's just distant, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Or not change. That's the frustrating thing. We've seen grandparents in action at like some of the therapy centers we pick Callup at or his school. I mean, really involved people. Yeah. Picking up a pickup and drop off and controlling meltdowns and going to the therapy centers. Yeah. It's, um, those people, like whenever I see them, I just go, I hope you're getting the appreciation from your kids that you deserve. You know, as people are in their seventies sometimes and right. they're really working hard, you know, it's 95 degrees, there's a meltdown, they're, tr- they're, they're, you know, they can, t- you can tell that they know what they're doing, but it's. It's hard when you're that age. You well, know? and there's different levels of grandparenting when it comes to this. Like, there's the ones that are involved that know how to handle a meltdown. Then there's my parents that are, like, out of the denial stage and trying to be a part of his life and he changing and mm-hmm. really trying to connect. And then your dad is in his 70s, and he's still kind of in denial, Just, you know? Yeah, relatively kind of una- unaware of, of everything that comes with it, what it's about, um, and we always say when you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah. And I'll add to that. When you meet one grandparent in denial of autism, you've met one person, one grandparent. In denial. They all seem to have different reasons as to why it's not true. Right. Or, right. Or not necessarily not true, but as to why it's not a big deal and everything will be OK. That's the tagline that gets me the quote. Everything's going to be OK. And it's like, well, listen, our life is not a Hallmark card. No. You know. I actually can't even, I, I, when people say that stuff, I just go, I, I get why it works for, for modern mainstream America. Everything will be okay. Cause it's, it's a, Hey, that's a nice way to think, you know, but try that with like a, like a parent of autism. And it's like, look, it, you don't have to see, keep saying that it's okay. Like I already know my reality. Like right. I know there are very hard times ahead along with some very good times, positive, upbeat times. But let's just not pretend that everything's okay, and one day this is all going to end. It's not. It's that's not what happens here. Right. Yeah. So that gets a little frustrating. But then on the flip side of that, you you understand grandparents. They want the best. Mostly, you would hope for their kids and their grandkids. So it's an easy little statement to say everything will be okay. You'll be fine. You get it worked out. You know. But the more the parents, I think, go through this, and not just the parents, I would say also the siblings. The more you just have this awareness of like, okay, you don't have to keep saying that, you know, like right. I, I know that this is not just going to end one day. Exactly. So yeah. Cal just had his birthday. 
Yep. And my mom um, asked what he wants for his birthday. Like, what toys? And he's really not into toys. Like, he's into toodles right now, and that's about it. That's like a Mickey Mouse uh, time machine thing. Right. But he more wants to draw the picture and cut it out and play with the Play-Doh. I did get him some toodles toys, just like two things. But one thing that I really needed was a new car seat. He's in a five-point harness right now that goes up to 65 pounds. So if you want to buy him something for his birthday, buy him a new car seat that goes all the way to 100 pounds. Yeah. Not only with that, though, it's like a special buckle to be like a booster um, for a, for a special needs kid, basically. Um, but then not only that, think about when you put the seatbelt on and it's going into the hook. I had to buy a special seatbelt cover so he, so couldn't, he yeah. couldn't unhook it. Somebody just wrote in one of our videos uh, that he needs a new car seat. He's outgrowing it. Oh, thanks. Somebody, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on top of it. I saw Bingo. it this morning. I saw it this morning. They were oh, like, harness, harness at shoulder level needs new car seat immediately. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you. So, well, but there's good, a lot of crazy car seat people out there. There are, but, but uh, honestly, I appreciate the safety. Yes, I'm on top of it. Yes. There's, there's, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> anyway, you could see all of our videos. Uh, we do multiple videos daily, dailyautism.com. Just kind of makes sense. Daily autism. Com. You can link to Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, all of our other platforms that run dailyautism.com. But thank you to the mom who pointed that out. That was good. L- listen, not much gets by special needs parents. Not much gets by. No, but it's, I've been holding on to this car seat because I'm afraid about the unbuckling and climbing out and the yeah. meltdown on the car ride home. Well, and the next thing is, which, I mean, I'm not going to write that lady that this because, you know, she'll already know, but like now you've got to hope and pray and meditate and whatever else you can do to find peace that this new car seat is going to be acceptable to him. <laughs> oh, I've already thought about oh, it. Oh, I know. So this, you know, it's like, it's, it's just nothing's easy. And so it's like, yep, it's about time for a new car. First off, he, he hasn't outgrown this one. It's getting close, but it's fine. It's perfectly safe for him, but it's getting close. So it's time. It's his birthday. You know, it's time. But along with that is the stress of, okay, but what does the new car seat mean? Does it mean talking him through it for 30 minutes, an hour, three days? Because all that can happen. Does it mean not saying anything at all and just letting him see it and then realizing it's new? Yeah. Right. There's a danger on each side. There's a danger over preparing because there's that thing with autism where it's like, oh, you're really, you're really making a big deal about this. I don't know if I like that. Then there's the other part of why didn't you prepare me for this? This is not my car seat. This is not what I do. So you know, pick your poison. And guess what? I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Well, I mean, there's Cal with his autism and anxiety. And then there's me as an autism mom with anxiety. <laughs> anxiety yeah. And I'm already freaking myself out about it. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> well, you know what? We laugh. We laugh through it. We stick together. Teamwork. Um, that's yes. what we'll do. But we'll figure it out. We'll make a plan. Inevitably, whatever we decide probably won't be the right idea. But we'll work through that, too. Right. Can you even imagine getting a new car right now? I mean, he's very particular about his stuff. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, a new anything is, is, is very hard. I do want to talk real quick about this, um, this new business that this woman started in, uh, in South Florida. This is really interesting. Whenever I find these new businesses, and this is actually a nonprofit, but I'm just trying to, you know, I, I thought we could give people ideas and not necessarily to use this business, but just give you an idea of maybe what you can do for your child with special needs. But uh, she started this nonprofit and what they do is they renovate bedrooms of children with autism. Um, so they'll actually go into your bedroom at home and say, we'll totally redo, you know, redo this bedroom. 
I love it. And yeah, and make it all sensory friendly and everything. Um, if you want, I'd love for you to go at dailyautism.com. You can click on our LinkedIn link, and it is on our LinkedIn newsletter. Um, it's our latest one. So it's uh, South Florida Woman Starts Nonprofit Renovating Bedrooms of Children with Autism. But just a neat little um, kind, of a, kind of an interesting peer-in of what people do to kind of say, okay, well, I want to serve the autism space. This is definitely an idea. Um, but you can see here, you know, they've got the mats everywhere. They've got the swing from the ceiling. Looks really cool. But th these are ways to get ideas of things to do in your own home. Yeah. You know, like whether you want to use this business necessarily or not, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, it's good. Like they have like the padded walls. Yep. Um, I love the swing. Cal's not really into swings, but many autistic kids are. Not into swings, but, you know, he might be into just kind of laying on that. The kind of that squishy, yeah, kind of maybe feeling. Um, but he has a crash mat in his room. He has um, a bunk bed, which he likes to climb up the ladder and pretend he's Hickory Dickory Dock. I like, um, I really like the padded walls because easier to clean. Yeah, I kind of really like that idea. Well, we have a little bit of uh, padding in, in our living room. It's not connected to the wall, but. Yeah, it's, it's more, those blue mats. It's more of a barrier. Yeah. So, uh, but neat business there. Again, dailyautism.com. Uh, you can find our LinkedIn page, and it is in our LinkedIn newsletter. We actually have LinkedIn's only biweekly newsletter. So you can link again through dailyautism.com. Uh, Want to say thank you quickly to the original Krabby Bills on Indian Rocks Beach, our second home. And we're proud, to, we're proud to support an organization that reinvests in their community. Krabby Bills um, has been a, a big supporter of us in our daily autism platform, supporting special needs families and uh, welcoming special needs families for a great day and a, just kind of a beautiful tropical oasis. Um, they've got a lot going on, and I am really excited uh, about the original Krabby Bills Indian Rocks Beach because starting July 31st through that week, through August 6th, they're doing buck shuck oysters, dollar oysters. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I said, wow, I think I know where we'll be every day for that week. Interesting. Um, we're going to have to take advantage. But really love the original Krabby Bills. Uh, KrabbyBills.com. By the way, they have live music every day at the loading dock. So uh, a fantastic place, tropical, tropical kind of oasis. And, you know, we tell parents of autism, special needs parents in general, meet up with your friends, socialize, have fun, get in the sun, listen to live music. And if you can add in dollar oysters on top of that, come on, let's go. Every time you talk about this, I want to go. I know. <laughs> I know. Inevitably, we'll get off the radio show and she'll be like, I think we can go to Krabby Bills today. Yeah. Which, yep. you know, we could, honestly, we could go every day. But thank you again to the original Krabby Bills, Indian Rocks Beach. Take advantage of that oyster special. That is really remarkable. Dollar oysters, um, the July 31st through August 1st. Very, very excited. Uh, August 6th, I'm sorry. Uh, take advantage of that. That is, that is awesome. Wanted to mention a little bit about these um, autism therapy dogs and kind of a two- Kind of a two-pronged thing here. First off, I did some research, and I didn't even think about this, but volunteers now are in, there's a shortage of volunteers for autism therapy dog training. And you don't have to, what this is too, by the way, is you don't have to know how to train the dog, but the dogs have to live in, in a home environment for like a year before they actually go and meet their, their person that they're going to 
be with. Oh, okay. Well, they have kind to, of like a foster type thing. Yeah, yeah. Like they just have to have an environment of like you know a home environment. Okay. Um. So they get their training, then they live in the home, and then they go. And so it's kind of cool, but um, I really just kind of wanted to mention that because again, this is all on our our LinkedIn uh, daily autism newsletter. If somebody wanted to volunteer for that, that's a that's a needed thing right now, and I think that could be really cool. But really, I wanted to talk about just the overall therapy dog for autism and the benefits of that, um, the questions about that and, 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 and everything like that. Like the more I look into it, the more I'm fascinated by these dogs and not so much, not just the dogs, but the training that goes in. I mean, these dogs are trained to sense meltdowns. I'm trying to process Is there that. a certain type of dog? Well, the ones, I'm sure, I don't think there's one certain amount of dog, but if you look at many of the services, it looks a lot of them like Labrador Retrievers. Okay. You know, um, like I'm looking at one right now, it's a, it's, a, it's a lab. I mean, labs are awesome, beautiful family dogs anyway, so it sort of makes sense. Right. Um, but I don't think it's just exclusive to that, to that breed. Um, well, we have a Golden Retriever, and he can definitely sense something with Cal, and he's very good with them. He's very patient, like very patient with him. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. He he does sense that. The yeah. other the other kids, he's more playful with, you know, a little rougher, like rough play. Um, I wouldn't even say rough play, just just standard play, like a dog and kids. But with Cow, it's much more patient. He's very gentle around him. Yeah, much more still. Yeah, kind of pays attention to him a little bit more. He does. I, th- I think he feels like he might be a little bit unpredictable. Oh, yeah. And Cal will pull on him, and we just have to remind him yeah. to be nice. He does grab the ears once in a while or the tail, but but Barkley does a good job with, um, I mean, he doesn't react to it, really. No, he doesn't. He's um, a very good dog. But some of the training for the meltdowns, I mean, I really think, and by the way, there are, there are organizations that, um, I've seen some that cover all the cost, and then some that cover, you know, half the cost or whatever for families, so that might be something that you may want to look into. Um, and a lot of that's regional. So, you know, s- certain parts of the country, there's different organizations. But just, I, I love the training for the meltdowns. And, and this one video I was watching, how the dog would actually press up against the child because it's that sensory. It's okay, you're, you're feeling unbalanced, you're scared. Let me kind of get in and, and sort of, I don't want to use the word pinned, but just kind of pressed up against him and then like against a bed or a couch or a wall. And then so the child could start petting the dog and feel the sensory, like the weight. Well, that, yeah, that meant, that made me think of like a weighted blanket. Yeah. You know. Right. And so, I mean, that's really cool training. Yeah. I mean, that's. That is. Yeah. And something that, that a lot of these kids could, could use. And again, it all goes back to the parents as well. It's like, what, what can we do for the parents so that the parents feel, you know, that there's some layers of protection? Right. And I mean, I'm sure the child feels like the dog's his friend, his or her friend. Yeah. You know, so they have their buddy. And that's the flip side to this of because it's so hard losing a dog. I knew you were going to do this. (laughs) Well, you got to think about it. I know. It's it's that could be devastating. Devastating. I mean, it's hard enough when you lose an animal and then you add special needs on top of it. I always say every time, you know, the few times we've lost a dog, I just said, that's it. We're never going to get a dog again. This is too painful. You know, this hurts. And then, I don't know, three, four, five months go by. And then you know what else is painful? It's not having a dog. I know. You know, that's kind of painful. And the kids, you know, can we have a dog, please? You know, and dogs are fun and part of the family. And 
I don't know, you get family pictures and the dog's always there. So they're part of the family. I also think probably having a service dog, it makes you feel like helps the child feel a little um, more responsibility and stuff. Like you can teach the child how to clean up after the dog, take the dog on a walk, maybe feed, feed the dog, the dog yeah. like, like task. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think, you know, one of the obvious benefits would be uh, possibly for a dog or I'm sorry, a family where it's one child. So you have one child, the child has autism. Yeah. And so maybe incorporating a dog just to give that companionship. Um, that might be something, you know, I mean, Cal doesn't lack companionship because he has four siblings right? Um, and a dog. But that said, you know, if he had a dog that could be with him, protect him, give him some comfort, uh, I think that would be really cool. But I do think about the end because everything with a lot of these kids who've been diagnosed with autism is, is everything's amplified. It's, it's brighter, it's shinier, it's louder. And so I'm just assuming that the grief hits harder. Yeah. That's interesting. That could be a tough one. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, but something to look at, something to research. Um, we're just always trying to find new things, um, you know, that could help families of, of autism. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some research we found because it's interesting. You just had a conversation with, I believe, was it, it, it was his, um, not his pediatrician. Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the, the, the name of the doctor. But developmental pediatrician? Yeah, developmental pediatrician. I was forgetting developmental. We talk a lot about um, probiotics and the gut and autism. Right. And kind of what you took out of that was it's not, as big of a deal as a lot of people say. That's what I got from it, yes. I just found this research, and now they're saying that this is a strong association between gut microbiome and autism, which obviously the microbiome and the gut is, you know, probiotics and taking care of the gut and everything is, is all part of that. Um, but these scientists have found what they call a definitive association between gut bacteria and autism spectrum disorder. So if you dive into the research... Taking care of that gut bacteria and, and influencing good bacteria, because your gut's bacteria, right? It's good and bad. You need to have more good. Um, would obviously help what they call um, some of the symptoms of autism. But it's interesting. It's, it's almost seems like anything else. You have one story saying this, one research study saying this, and then you have another one saying this. You have doctors on all different sides of this. And it gets a little frustrating, I know. I mean, that kind of reminds me of all the different diets in the world. Like one, one says this is good. The next one says this is bad, you know? So it's just all based off of what you want to do in your opinion, I think. Yeah. And the research that you do. Well, your research, but again, if like, if like you're, you're talking to one developmental pediatrician and they say there really, there's not been a real definitive link that it helps, but then you find all this research and it's like, well, these scientists say it does. What do I do? I know. I know. You know what I, I mean? mean? Like, I what do I do? Like if it, you, you, I guess you just keep trying. I mean, if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like with his developmental pediatrician, I respect him. I think he's very smart and I appreciate what he says. So when he says that, I'm like, yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's maybe back to the spirit of Tracy's book, Warrior Mom is cause she did a lot of research and, and, she almost interviewed these experts as a mom, you know, and was trying to figure out, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work, trial and error. Um, 
and maybe it, maybe it's just always back to do that. Do your own research, critically think things, do you, you know, um, analyze everything. Um, I've always believed that it made perfect sense that the, the gut, um, the gut has a lot to do with it. And if nothing more than just, um, discomfort. Yeah, you know, I agree. Because Cal had a lot of discomfort in his gut early on. He'd yeah. have these these episodes where his gut would like swell, and we took him to the, the hospital once. We took him to the hospital, and they said it was constipation, which was very surprising because he had a bowel movement on a regular basis. Yeah, he never so, had a problem with that. No, so it was very strange. But I mean, I do think your gut is related, like you said, because of discomfort. I mean, if you feel better, then you're going to act better. Yeah. Well, and so much with the, you know, the, the, the autism is the ability or the disability to explain what's going on, like how you feel. Right. You know, so. I, I don't think it can hurt. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I just think the studies are interesting because they're all over the place and you just really got to get to a point where, A, you've got to find good products, you know, um, I mean, really good stuff and then kind of track how it works and, 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 and how it helps and, and things like that. It's interesting because right now Cal has a tooth like dangling from his roots. Yes, he does. <laughs> and it's obviously bothering him, but he just won't let anybody pull it out. Yeah. So he's gone back and forth. Like he let you pull out his first one. The next two after that, he pulled him out. Now this tooth is so ready to come out and he's he's irritated. Yeah. It's, it's obviously <laughs> that he's bothered by this. And it is interesting because like the first time he let me do it. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And he it came out. I was sort of horrified how quickly it came out. And then I looked at him and he was smiling. He thought it was great. And after that, he's kind of let me wiggle some teeth, but never let me pull anything out. And this thing is like, it's hanging by a thread. I think he will let you pull it out. Oh, I don't know. I mean, when you can't bite into pizza. This is cutting down his pizza intake for (laughs) sure. Yeah, this is definitely cutting down his... uh, his pizza intake. But that's the thing about autism is just the inability to express how they're feeling, what hurts, um, you know, what feels good, what they want more of, what they want less of. Um, it's, it, it's just a lot of that, a, a lot of that trial and error as we, uh, as we move forward. I actually thought when I went to bed last night, I said, you know, we'll get up today. The tooth will be gone. It'll either fall out on his pillow or he'll just swallow it and the tooth will be gone. People do that. I know all the time. And for us so far, um, the whole teeth thing has not been an issue. Like as far as who can pull it out and stuff, he decides. But as far as the tooth being gone and a new tooth growing in, it's fine. Which I was kind of worried about. Like, is he going to want the tooth back in? But it's been fine. That's going to be, yeah. Let's not speak that into existence. (laughs) Put the tooth back in. That's (laughs) This That's, is his fourth tooth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a Play-Doh uh, character that he wants rebuilt or reconstructed. We can we can tend to figure that out. Putting the tooth back in is going to be a tough one. That <laughs> one's going to be, I don't know if I'm in, I don't know if I have that one, yeah, if I'm ready for that one. D- dental, you know, just dental stuff in general for these kids is really tough. They're, first off, there's not a lo- uh, enough dentists that are, that are trained um, to, to handle what goes on with kids, autism and dental needs. Right. There's just not. No, Um, there's not. I got an email the other day from a woman and she said that, um, they went in for dental work and the dentist was uh, nearly had to put her kid in a headlock because he was just, I mean, it was full meltdown. He's just totally scared. And that's something you hear. It's, it's like, you don't even think about it because you've got so much going on with autism and the world of autism, but then it becomes time to, you know, cavities and losing teeth 
finding a dentist that is trained in this is, is t- it's like a hairstylist. It's hard, you know, because because haircuts are the same thing. Right. I mean, and as far as the dentist goes, we've been lucky enough that he has had dentists that dentists that go step by step. So they have not even tried to do x-rays on him because there's no way they'd be able to. And it's fine. They just go step by step. But as far as him having cavities, they can look and see. Obviously, there has been some staining on his baby teeth that are going to come out anyway. Um, Oral hygiene with autistic children is a huge issue because of the sensory. Um, But I think that he would have to be sedated if that if there had to be dental work done. But what I was going into with this is think about what you're feeding your kids or having them drink, because luckily enough, he does not eat candy. He doesn't do juices or anything. He just does water. I I honestly, you know, it's the the tough, the tough thing is, is you don't know, right? You don't know your baby's born and there's no, Hey, um, your child has autism. You know, this could be, you know, 18 months, 24 months, 36 months, five years old, right. 10 years old. And so by then some of these habits are already formed. Like they're already, they already drink juice. They already do what they do or eat what they eat. It's hard to take that away, especially yeah. for child with autism. I, I just, I don't know. I'm just, we are, I'm so thankful. Like we, you know, didn't really give him juices. It really was water. Um, I mean, he had some juices and stuff, but he never really, but we mostly gave him water growing up Yeah, and he loved it. And that's all he thankfully craves. You know, it's almost like one more thing to think about is the diet that early on, because if your child winds up on the spectrum and you've done nothing but introduce juices or sugary drinks or something, the chances that they're going to want to go to a dentist and be able to kind of go through all the regular stuff, checkups, it's probably not going to happen. Right. But put on top of that all the sugar. It's like one more reason to stay away from sugar. Yeah, we're not big sugar people, but he does have Uncrustables, which have sugar. I mean, we can't completely stay away from it. Um, I mean, he does not have the best diet because he's picky, but we do try to stay away from sugar. No, he's very picky. So so he he gets his doses of like, relatively not very healthy food and then extremely healthy food. It's, it's, it's one or the other. It's like, give me a pound of broccoli. I'll eat the whole thing. Or like you said, give me two Uncrustables and, um, some Funyuns and I'll eat the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, the whole broccoli thing is amazing to me. It's, and I love it. People say all the time, like you're so lucky. And I'm like, well, I don't want to give you the impression that he just sits around and eats broccoli all day because that's not the case. But when he wants it, he wants it big time and he'll eat it. Yeah. I mean, he eats it a couple times a week at least, which is helpful. Yeah. And fruit, like he does bananas and stuff like that. But he does not do any berries or anything anymore. No. And, and he, he used to. Used to love blueberries, strawberries, raspberries. He was Blackberries. A, he was he a, ate all the berries. He did. And that's, that is gone, which is really interesting. I know. But it's almost one, you know, it's, it's weird because you're sort of playing defense it's sort of like one more reason, though, why when your child starts eating solid foods out, out of the infant and baby stage, maybe just try to steer them towards healthier stuff. Because if they wind up on the spectrum, the chances of them wanting to change something different is, it, you know, it's, it's much lower. They kind of want to stick to what they know. Right. Same and thing with same thing with the water. You know, it's just giving them all the water, but that's hard to do. That's hard to tell a family. Hey, you never know if you want, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's tough. Well, it just makes me think, um, like how we got rid of his passy right away, how we got rid of bottles right away. Like we didn't know we were going down the road of autism, but luckily, luckily enough, I got rid of that stuff early on. How did we get rid of the passy so quick? I just get rid of it at two years old. 
I mean, Gosh, I always did. I did bottles this. at one years old for all of our kids. Yep. You're done. And and then they switched to milk, which for milk for him, I I, I think I stopped at two years old, too, because um, our fourth kid, Trey, loved milk too much. Mm-hmm. And then we got rid of the passies right at two years old. And one thing I didn't do, which I should have done, is potty trained at two years old and really tried hard then. Because I had no idea and nobody told me. I mean, even when he was diagnosed at three, nobody told me potty training was going to be an issue. Yeah. I'm trying to even remember that. Gosh, it's it's incredible. Like, I, I can't, I'm just trying to remember all those little stages and it's like, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm trying I to just get... did it the same as everyone else. Yeah, no, I know. Well, maybe he's the fifth one and I just was like, oh, here's another passy ending stage or whatever. And he liked his passing. Well, and it, I was just going to say, it's interesting, you know, because that has a sensory element to it. I'm almost thinking we got really lucky that he's not like, I, I want to pass you. I want to pass you. Yeah. You know, know. E- even at, you know, three or four years old, I'm surprised he wasn't like, I want to pass you. I want to pass you. Cause that is sensory biting down and the whole, and, and he has pica. So it, it, it's, you know, it's the mouth thing. I know what happened. Now I remember. <laughs> Live memories here, everybody. (laughs) They're just coming back. Well, you you said pica. And so he had pica before I even knew he had pica. He was starting to bite the nipples off of the pacifier. That's right. And it was just, I couldn't find any pacifiers. I was buying a new pacifier every two days. And then we were too afraid of choking. Yeah, he would tear the ends of those things off. So maybe it wasn't at two years old, but it was right around two or three that I got rid of it. And that's why. Because we're like, it's a choking hazard. All these little clues about autism... That we didn't obviously didn't, didn't know then, but when you start piecing it together and kind of reverse engineering, that's that is really interesting. I know. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what else we don't remember that we'll remember <laughs> moving forward. Well, he did. He did line up toys early on, which is a huge sign. He did. Yep. But it, it, and and we've talked before. He um, he was a delayed walker. He was. Yep. Um, and even when he did begin to walk, it was not a. I. I I remember it not being like a confident walk when he started. Like it wasn't confident. It wasn't like, oh, you you got this. It was always a little. Well, and people say don't compare your kids. But I mean, all the rest of the kids walked at like the week of their first birthday, 12 mm-hmm. months old. And he didn't walk till 15 months. Then the lining up the toys and and he was a very good eater. Was a good eater. Um, he ate all the baby food, sweet potatoes, everything. He ate like... um. Well, I will say early on, you know that whatever that's called, the type of um, feeding that people do where they give their kids like a whole piece of steak or a whole piece of something. Yeah. And like they gnaw on it. Yeah. And, th- and that was like a big thing going on when he was born and starting to eat. And for some reason, I just kept saying, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. There's there's a couple on YouTube that have made a ton of money by do- by they do that. They like show I you. I forget what it's called. I know it's 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 kind of a weird. name. I want to say it's like lead something, but if I don't you, think it is. No, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a weird name. And if you like hear it, you're like, I'm never doing that. But then they say that this is like a big deal. I know these kids would be like gnawing on I, a piece of steak. Yeah, and I don't even let our ten year old do that because I know. he has huge tonsils. But it's to like you know, it gets like all of their senses, and it's supposed to be really good for you. Yeah. So. I was like to myself, I'm like, I can't do that. So I just did little pieces like I always do. But something that's very strange is I never put him in our bed. All the other kids slept in our bed at some point, which you're not supposed to do anyway. Or people say co-sleep, whatever. He's never slept in our bed ever. No, co-sleeping is bad. It's dangerous. Um, It's kind of like the first thing they tell you as you're leaving the hospital. 
Yeah, they had us. They have the little shirt made and stuff. Yep, and they they say do not do do not go home. You, you know you're going to want to, especially mom is going to want to. Or if people are breastfeeding, they tend to. Yep. Well, sometimes they'll fall asleep. They're tired. You know. But I remember leaving the hospital like with all the kids. Yeah. You know, first thing they do is they do the car seat test, make sure that that's good. They make sure dad understands how the car seat works. You know, I'm right. like, put it through here, put it through. Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. Um, but then they're like, all right, co-sleeping. And it's like the last thing they tell you is you're leaving the hospital. They're like, do not do it. It's really dangerous. And no, it really is. But it is it is kind of very interesting that you sort of had that unconscious sense of not to do it, not to put him in the bed. Yeah, protect, an extra protection with him I always had. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, don't co-sleep. And then remember he was like two years old and I had, I got one of those leash backpacks. That's right. Which I've never done before to any of our other kids. Well, but at that point he was walking and I think we had a pretty good sense that not autism, but we had a sense that um, if he wanted to just go and do his own thing, he would just go and do it. Whereas our other kids at that age, they would listen. They, they would respond. Don't go over there. Come back here. Sit down. They would do it. Right. Like and he, he still obviously, yeah, he still doesn't understand danger. He still doesn't understand if he runs into the road, a car can hit him, you know? The, the and man so he is, wasn't listening then. The man is fearless. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's absolutely fearless. I he mean, climbs on our window seals, yeah. which is a common thing with autism. I mean, you see, there's actually a little girl, um, that I follow and she climbs all over the walls and ceilings and, but he climbs on the window seals. He climbs on the couch. He jumps off. He's fearless. He's fearless. I, he just, you know, he's going through swimming lessons. We can't say, too, how important it is. Uh, can't say enough how important it is swimming lessons for your autistic child. Um, you know, ours, our swim instructor has been at our house all this past week. Um, and this is the first summer where Cal could jump into the pool without wearing uh, any flotation devices and we wouldn't have a heart attack. Right. Um, it's really neat to see. Like, also, too, with parents, you need to see some success, some development, some functional growth, increases in growth. Yeah, it makes you feel really good as parents. So you have to do it for your child for obvious survival and safety. But man, as a parent, does it make you feel good? Like, it makes you feel great. He ran and jumped in that pool, like, because he loves screaming cannonball. So the other kids will do it. <laughs> but now he does it. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. You know, again, another moment that I wasn't sure we'd ever see, ever, like, ever see. And it's really cool. But you've got you've to do that stuff. Um, you have to let go a little bit. Yeah. To let them grow. Yeah. And he's still not fully, um, he doesn't, he's not like a strong swimmer. No. So we still have him go in his floaty, but now that he's done swim lessons, at the end of our day in the pool, I let him practice for like 10 minutes without his floaty. Yeah. He so hopefully next summer there's no floaty. He can get to the wall, um, and he can swim underwater, which is what we really wanted, um, because it shows he can hold his breath. Right. So he can go underwater and swim to the wall, come up, and then grab the, the end of the wall. A lot of our stuff in the beginning was get to a wall, get to a wall. He knows that now. If yeah. you say get to a wall, he'll get to the wall. Obviously, if he were able to get out and no one's there... Hopefully in his mind, it would click that he could get to a wall and that's what he would do to hang on. So um, just got to think about all of that stuff. Yeah. And that's interesting. You just said that because he has more safety awareness about jumping in the pool and going to the wall than he does going out in the front yard and running into the street and a car is going to come. He doesn't understand that. Uh, yeah. it It's interesting that now the front of the house, 
could almost be more danger than the back of the house, but we've been scared to death of the back of the house because of the pool. And right. we've, we've taken every gates, mesh, mesh fencing, ring doorbells, ring back door. Safety locks on top. Satellite tracking system. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's just, you know, and you got to do it. I mean, you got to do it. Uh, gosh, I saw I saw three. Well, I want to get to this story actually uh, coming up uh, right now, actually, because I I really like this. Um, th- this story had a really interesting um, beginning um, and ending, and so that's why I wanted to um, to get a, get to it. This police officer in Miami. Imagine this: you're a police officer and you, you're on your shift and you're driving, and there's a river there. It's the Miami River, and you see a kid go over. He stops his car and he's got a, he wasn't like right there. He saw it from a distance. So he had to get to a place to park and run. And they got all this on the body cam. It's really, really fascinating to watch. He tears down there. He jumps in. He saves a child. He gets out, you know, and by this point, you know, other police are coming. The ambulance is coming, you know, everything like that. And they get him out. They're treating him. The kid, he's fine. Um, but they determined that he he has autism. They get a hold of the parents. He's an autistic child who went in, and this police officer saves him. Now, the other part of this story is that this police officer had just started his shift, but right before his shift every day, he drives his own autistic four-year-old to therapy every day and drops him off before he do goes and does his shift. Yeah, it is a crazy story. It really is. And it's it's just one of those things that, that you read and you just go. Now, he had to take a couple of days off. He said, and he was fine physically. And the, and the child is going to make a full recovery. And the officer is fine now. Um, neither were injured, both very scared. But he said the mental part, the emotional part of him doing that just an hour after dropping his child off at therapy for autism, he said it was too much. He had to take a few days off. He said it was just too overwhelming. Um, yeah, I mean, it scares you to death. I mean, worrying about your child all the time. I'm sure it's like had his heart, you know? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you, you, you think about it could be him one day doing something and his child's out somewhere. And I mean, you don't know the whole circumstances of how this happened, but just thinking if I wasn't there to see that, what would have happened? Yeah. It's very scary. Very scary. And for whatever reason, I mean, I think I know the reason, but we just hear about this more and more and more. These kids with autism in the water. And it, it's almost like the awareness of that is so heightened, but it just seems like it's happening more and more. I know. But that's more what... children, you know, the prevalence of autism has just exploded. It's through the roof. And these kids are getting older. They're getting stronger. And they're able to get out into the communities and into society. And then you're attracted to water, so they go to water. But, they, you know, they can't swim or they... They fall, they hurt themselves, they roll into water. I mean, it's, it's you know, and it's not always a river or um, a lake or something. I mean, you, you hear about retention ponds. Yeah. You know, just all these, just anything. It's just. Well, it is scary. I mean, you were just talking about our safety locks and cameras and all that. But like the, as kids get bigger, I mean, they're stronger and taller and you have to change everything. Well, that's the thing is, you know, we talk a lot about what's this going to look like in 10 years when these kids who are now three, four, five, six, seven when they're 13 to 17 year olds, they're big and strong. You know, it's about autism. It, it's developmental, but it's not physical. I, I mean, know. you grow, you, you, you hit growth spurts, you gain muscle, you gain weight, you gain speed. Yep. And there's, um, um with autism is eloping and they're just, they take off, take off. 
Yeah. We talk a lot about what's going to happen. What, what, what are the communities going to look like? What are the societies going to look like? And many, too, are the kids that, you know, didn't get didn't get any support, didn't get um, therapies or uh, any type of any type of um, therapy or, or training or anything that would help function and understanding of, of, of what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what's dangerous, what's not as dangerous, you know. Which if the child is not getting the therapy and training, either is the parents. So they're not going to know what to do. Yeah. But that but then, you know. Like you have a 14, 15, 16 year old, 17 year old, and you know, maybe you're midway. Maybe it's not like severe. Um, maybe it's not super high functioning. But even that, you know, what happens when you're home alone and you can just unlock a door by yourself? I know. Or climb out a window, you know. And like I said, this is this is kind of what I mean when I say you're gonna have this this segment of of people who are gonna spill out into society and they just they haven't received therapies, they haven't received um, the things that are necessary. I mean, you're even seeing it now, you know, with these children who are going into the water. I mean, if you're able to get out of your house and you're three, four, five, six, add 10 years to that. I know. You know, there's actually special training. Um, um, oh, actually somebody we know does it. She used to be a RBT and, um, they have special training for parents even to learn how to put your kids in different holds and like locks and stuff. I mean, I said locks, but like you're helping them through a meltdown. Yeah. Because some kids become violent and a lot of it's just not knowing how to express yourself, communicate. Um, So it's different ways to train the parents how to keep the kids safe. And I'm sure they're doing that for police officers now, too. Yeah, there are protective holds um, and, and it's to protect the child first and foremost. From hurting themselves. Hurting themselves. It's to protect the caregiver also because you can't have the caregivers or parents getting hurt. And it's also to protect, in a sense, the, the, the community. What I mean by that is somebody driving down the road that this kid may jump in front of the car. Right. And you want to protect them from, you know, there being a terrible accident and things like that. So it, it really is to protect um, protect everybody. But it's one thing when you're three, four, five years old talking about a child with autism. And then, like I said, add a decade to that. Then add another decade to that. And you're into the 20s. And, um, you know, police departments around the country, they are really, a lot of them are doing a great job. Um, I went actually and, and spoke at a county council or a city council meeting in Largo, Florida, just outside of St. Pete, uh, about, um, in a sense, arming these police officers with trained people. These are trained professionals um, to deal with people with autism or those on the spectrum. Um, because it's different. You can't, it's not the same training. It's not the same tactics and strategy. It can't be. It can't, actually, that would make it worse. Which right. is very, very it, and it puts the police officer in a very tough spot. And it's interesting because I went there to speak in, in, in support of it. And there were some people I was reading online that were really against it. They were like, nope, we don't want people who have these skills on the street. We need, we need police officers who are trained for certain things and that's it. And all the police officers I talked to there, they came up and thanked me for, for speaking there because they said, we need the help. We need the help. We need the training. Yes, we're trained to go out against bad guys, and we need that. And we absolutely need that. That's not debatable. But then you have people who aren't bad guys. They're not bad guys. They're just developmentally um, delayed. They don't understand. They don't understand. They didn't get up in the morning to commit a crime and hurt somebody. They just don't understand. And they get in these moments. It could be anything. It could be a loud noise. It could be a flash of light. It could be anything. And they don't know what to do. 
and they're scared to death. And I think it's really important that they're trained so they can recognize the difference between good and bad, you know? Yeah. Like a child that just, or a grown adult that just doesn't understand and how to speak to them. Because I honestly can't even imagine um, an autistic person being handcuffed. I mean, I feel like that would be awful. I mean, when you're, when a child is going, when I see a child, and, and of course adults do it too, like having like a meltdown and then they were handcuffed, like dear Lord, like that would be awful. I know. Uh, a lot of these police departments are putting these specially trained people on the, uh, on the patrol with these officers and um, so many of the officers are in support of it. So I, I, I just think it's great. It, it, it's great for everyone. It's great for private business owners. It's great for the community. It's great for the other officer. It, it's great for the community as a whole. It's just really um, a good thing. Real quick, we got to thank one of our featured partners, My Salon Suite in Largo, Florida, and highlighting one of their stylists, Kim Taylor. She is offering a $20 gift certificate towards a color service after her free consultation. She does the highlights, the lowlights, color, glossing, and services women and men. That's Kim Taylor, My Salon Suite. Her number, 727 727- Two six six eight zero nine nine. Thank you, my salon suite. Great community partner in our daily autism.com platform. We appreciate it. I said it was going to fly by, and it did, but we covered a lot of stories. A lot of stuff. We covered a lot of stuff. So, again, you can get all of our podcasts at dailyautism.com. And um, most importantly, all of the links to our social media channels, which we are very active. We continue to grow at a very fast rate. We appreciate uh, all the questions, all the comments, um, all the great stuff. Dailyautism.com. Again, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, America's only autism hotline is there. Link to it all at Daily. Autism.com. And uh, starting in August, we've got another uh, wave of community partners that are coming in and uh, and joining us. And so we're really excited to amplify their products, their services, and really to connect all of the parents uh, in this autism space. It really is cool to see all of the all of the awesome support that we've seen. Yep. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Don't forget, Krabby Bills. Crabby Bills on Indian Rocks Beach. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support. Uh, Tracy Slups, a Victor Warrior Mom, warriormom.org to get her new book. As Melissa said, have a great weekend into the next week, and we will see you online 24-7 at dailyautism.com. <laughs>